Hi, my name's Brandon. And if you're anything like me, you have an extensive knowledge of superfluous Broadway information. You haven't had a haircut in four years, and you're a raging homosexual. Here with me today is a beautiful business woman, otherwise known as that bitch. It's Melissa. Hey, hey Melissa. Hi, how Hi. are you? How you doing? You got a new look today. I do. Yeah. How do you feel? Free. That's, That's amazing. amazing. Yeah. Oh, you look gorgeous. Which is nice. Yeah. I uh, shaved my head, jaw. That's what they're referring to. Uh, it was. It was beautiful. Yeah. It was a beautiful. It uh, was a beautiful moment. My yeah. friends were there and helped me uh, start a new day. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, it was beautiful. Yeah. It was wonderful. Yeah. Everybody's very supportive. Um, we're here to put um, one of our friends on the spot. Okay. And uh, our other friend is the talented, the titillating, oh. the tall as shit. Colton. We're putting him on the spot because we're going to play a little game with him, with okay. you, Colton. All right. Um, song Association, we played it with Melissa. Oh, yes. um, give you a word you have to say. You have to give us a lyric that has that word or a song with that word in the title. Did that okay. make sense? Uh, yeah. Did that all come I'll up correctly? Yeah. Melissa has your words. Colton? I would count uh, 30 seconds. In my head, you have 30 seconds on the clock. You ready? Oh, man, this is more pressure. Y'all ready? Yeah. Woo. All right. All right, then. All right. Okay. Your first word is joy. J-O-Y. Joy to the world, all the boys and girls. Next. Okay, okay. Uh, the word is uh, come, C-O-M-E. Come. Uh, um. Oh, come on now. <laughs> There's so many you could do with that. Uh, pick one. Um, What's the first one that popped into your mind? Come, little children, I'll take <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Truly made up for that first one. Okay, and number three? Oh, and number three is, I'll give you an easy one, love. Um... First one that pops in your head. The first one is, I was trying to think of a better one. Love is all you need. Okay, you went way over time. Mm, I actually wasn't keeping track. You would have (laughs) lost. If you were on the trail show, you would have lost. You go on the blue screen, you would have lost. You got a buzz, buzz, buzz. Do you see me applying to go on those TV shows? Well, you should. It's good PR. It's good PR. You know how many solo artists go on that TV show and like kill on Spotify the next day? He's not playing games. I don't. I don't. We love you. Bye. (laughs) Well, listen, we won't hold it against you. All right, we'll try it again, and you'll be so much better. Yeah. All right, and then you'll win the million-dollar prize that we always give away on the show. Um, I'm sorry. Of our love and appreciation. We have million dollars to give away, but not a million dollars for our budget. No, no, no. Correct. No, no, no. Yes, that's all right. Great. Um, Great. Our other dear friend here with us, um, it's going to be a little bit weird because this is going to come out like a month later, but... I'm going to do it anyway. Happy birthday to you. 
Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Jeannie. Happy birthday to you. It's Jeannie. Happy birthday song. Mm. I've eaten amazing food. Oh, terrific. Yeah, props to Brandon. Yes. Oh, yeah. Thank you guys. Oh, stop it. Thank you. Did you have a good day yesterday? Yeah. Fabulous. Today's so even better. Good. Oh my God. Yeah. Nice. Oh. I love it. Fantastic. Well, we're here to talk about um, an album. Uh, we're going right into musical theater. Changed it up to what? What, what do you think we were going to talk about, Cole? A movie, maybe, perhaps. Uh, uh, no. <laughs> we're kind of about both, y'all. Oh, well, I guess it's true. We're kind of about both, y'all. Okay, yeah, we are going to talk about a movie. Because yeah. the movie did bring a whole new generation to this musical. So. True. Well, fair. So. And, uh, valid. For true. some people, it's the musical. For some people, it's the movie. Yeah. True. Um, of course, what we're referring to is Hair, the Broadway musical. Open in 1968. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the first album we talked about came out in 1971. The second one we talked about was in 1964. 66. Six. Oh, I'm sorry. 66, yes. We jumped all the way up into um, 2006, and then we went all the way back to 1960, 1968. Oh, my God. <laughs> I should not. We're going to cut all that out. Um <laughs> But this, uh, I don't think a lot of people know this album has, like, a huge influence on, like, a lot of different things on yeah. the, the hippie culture, the hippie movement of the late 60s. Um, yeah. Well, and, uh, you and I were talking about how there are songs from this that people don't realize are from this musical. Yeah. They, yeah. They're, like, mainstream songs. Yeah. They are. Mm-hmm. That it's Some something like, Most people don't Let the Sunshine is and yeah. yeah, we will, yeah. We will we'll get to it. We will dive deep into it. And we are diving deep because this album is 32 tracks long. Um, for a typical musical, it's like 10 songs in Act 1, maybe 10 songs in Act 2. It's like double a normal This musical. is, uh, however, it's as long as a normal musical. Because there's so many of them, they're like little, it's kind of like rent. Like there's so many little mm. 30 second minute songs yeah. that aren't really songs yeah. but they all average rock, five minutes it's that rock opera aspect yeah, yeah. kind of yeah, yeah yeah and like whip it excuse me I'm Belchie um with it you uh what was that what was I gonna say you have when you when you listen to the album you basically have the whole show like yeah give or take a few monologues um and if you listen to the album and you think I have no idea what's fucking going on in the show listen when you watch the show You'll think the same thing. Because it was... <laughs> yes. I am not here to tell you that Hair is uh, the perfect musical because it <laughs> is far from it. Um, however, it was... Influence. It was a huge influence. It was, it was something that kicked off the rock musical trend. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, in this book I was reading, the first rock musical it mentions is Bye Bye Birdie. Um... And that's not the first musical I think of when I hear rock musical. Um, all right, so when we put this album on, we hear some weird noises, and we hear the anthem of the 60s and 70s, 
Aquarius is the opening track. Um, this book I'm reading, it sort of uh, highlights what happened on opening night Broadway. It like, it like tells you what the audience saw. So I'm going to give you like a little synopsis, little, little tidbits of what's happening for each like number, each group of numbers. So like when the audience is walking in, they see Claude, one of the main characters. He's sitting cross-legged center stage, right? The rest of the tribe, the rest of the hippie tribe is sort of scattered throughout um, the space. Um, and two of the other main characters go up behind Claude and sort of ceremoniously clip his hair, and then they toss it into a uh, chalice of fire, right? And they're just doing it's like, so that's like the first thing people see. And then just the show just fucking starts, and we listen to Aquarius, and yeah, it's it's. So that's it. That's what we've got with the first. It's a bop, all right. Uh, it slaps. I think it's important to, you know, I know we're going to kind of talk about the whole stretch of the show into the movie and stuff, but the movie introduces an entirely different way. Yes. Because uh, yes. it starts in Oklahoma. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, and Claude is a different character in the movie. But completely different. Unrecognizable. Yeah. Aquarius is in the movie right after he arrives in New York. Claude arrives in New York and he sees a bunch of hippies in the park. Singing the song. So Dancing. I, so okay, before we get too much further, I haven't seen the stage show. Jeannie, I think, said that she hasn't seen you. So you two I also have, have not seen the oh, stage show. Oh, you haven't seen the stage no. show. Okay. Me and then also Elliot over there has also seen the show. We watched uh, last year around this time, we saw um, a local production of Hair. And, um, but anyway, yeah, you were saying? Um, You've only seen the movie. This, yeah, and so frame of reference is different, right? Um, but the more that you've told me about the show in comparison to the movie, um, it's interesting to see where they line up and where they don't. Yeah, yeah. Um, this song in particular, I don't think one is one that has like a really big impact on like the different scenery between... Right. Yeah. 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 But they're pretty much they they're pretty much used for the same purpose in both the stage show and. Yeah. Though I will movie. say I do love the opening shot in the movie where they use visual storytelling and they have just the the sign that you Oklahoma is not even the biggest word you see it's just like on this this oh, like yeah it's road like forty five miles an hour Oklahoma interstate or something right, like that yeah. something like that and it's um, right before Claude gets on the bus and leaves for New York yeah and that also might speak to them wanting to make it related to experience yeah. Exactly. Yeah, they're trying to reach a broader audience. And I, I would love to know. I feel like we're gonna get way off from talking about the songs, but whatever. I would love to know uh, if that was the one that kind of started the trope of movies that are set with the Vietnam backdrop of like the kid from the Midwest moving to New York or whatever. Because you know, we'll probably talk about more later. But like across the universe is a somewhat similar kind of vibe, and I feel Absolutely. like that's. It's definitely different, but just the whole someone being taken completely out of their element and being put onto the the whole hippie. I I, I think that is something that uh, very much like identifies the hippie experience. But I just want to know if this is like the origin point of it, or if it came before in something else. You know? Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm that, not that trope. I am not brushed up on my Vietnam War oh, film yeah. knowledge. There's so many. There's a lot. 
Well, I was going to, I've read Go Ask Alice and I think that came out around the same time. It was like a novel that was released, but like, that's something that happens in it is they like pack up and they move to like LA. Like that's their big thing. And I even think of, um, she's leaving home from, uh, Sergeant Pepper. Mm -hmm. Um, because that's literally that this girl leaving home and the whole like hippie experience. I think it's just, yeah, what they did. They're like, all right, goodbye. See you. So this opening number, Aquarius, yeah. <laughs> is one of the uh, uh, one of the singles that like people really latched onto from this show. Um, it and a few others have been covered so many times. Um, so the show came out in '68. Yeah. By the time 1970 rolled around, uh, there were 700 plus songs from Hair that were covered by various artists or yeah. whatever. Insanity. Insanity. Um, Hair actually spent 13 weeks as like the top, yeah, as the top selling record in 1969. Um, yeah, but it wasn't really liked by the music community or even the theater community at all. Yeah, which is wild. Um, but like the few people who did like it really like pushed for it. Um, so now we have this weird fucking musical that's in um, the American musical theater canon. You were talking about people who really pushed this thing. I'm curious if this is like where we should address Michael Butler, perhaps. Perhaps. Let me see. You know, I wrote my notes so quickly. Just to kind of lay the origins of how this whole show came to. Yeah. Because it was a ride. <laughs> it, it truly is a ride. As most of the things that we've You know what? I'm sort of laying it out. Uh, yeah, why don't we talk about the next chunk of songs? Okay. I'm not going to do right. track by track individually, but, you know, Aquarius happens. Um, and then we go into uh, Donna, Hashish, Sodomy, Colored Fade, and Manchester, England. Um, when Donna happens, uh, b- after Aquarius, Berger is sort of like, he has this monologue to the audience, sort of saying hello and introducing himself. And then he has this like weird story about finding a 16-year-old virgin. Donna happens. Um, Hashish happens, which is a weird 30-second song about drugs. Um, <laughs> A character, Woof, is introduced, and he talks about his, like, sexual liberation from, like, religious influences, I guess, and sings sodomy. Um, And then we're introduced to Hud, and he sings Colored Spade, and he's, like, brought in upside down, like, hanging by his ankles on a bar. It's insane. Whoa. Truly. That happens in the show? The stage show? Yes. Yes. Wow, it's way more tame in the movie. Oh, yeah. And it's, like, it's, it's, like, in conversation. In in the movie, you're talking about yes, the movie. Yeah, because it and it's it's one of those moments <laughs> in musicals, and I, I almost laughed when we were watching it, where like so he like is doing his talking before the song starts, right? Right. And then you just see all these people who were not involved in the scene before. You're walking so, up with like yeah. Michael Jackson music <laughs> so video. That's exactly yeah. what happens. You see it. You see it. And like the minute I see it, I'm like, oh, a song's about to happen. <laughs> Like it's, <laughs> I almost laugh because I've just seen it in so many stage shows and movies. I, well, like, I just watched the movie again today, and I remember that whole scene as they're walking up. I didn't even say, "Oh, a song's about to start." I said, "Why are they just walking up?" Oh, they know them. Are they okay yeah. with this? Like, what? What? Oh, th- they're about to sing. I thought, yeah. <laughs> I, at first, I thought like, "Oh no, causing trouble." Yeah, I was like, like, "Is this a, po- a plot point I yeah. missed?" Like, yeah, no, it just comes up in conversation. Yeah. And that's pretty much all these songs do, but it's in conversation with the audience directly on stage. God, um, that must make so much more sense in the movie. 
Yeah, the movie just like throws songs at you. See, <laughs> and the movie makes perfect sense to me. Like oh, I can put God. the movie together perfectly. No, I I mean I've only watched it once, to be fair. So I'm sure my opinion will change the more times that I watch it. But Yeah, and, and I told you the other day that it took me maybe four or five times watching that movie in particular to go, Oh <laughs> okay, I get yeah, it. It yeah. just it was like there were obviously these songs that are like the pillars that hold the whole thing up, right? Right. And then everything before, after that, in between them, is just like being assaulted <laughs> by songs. Truly, <laughs> they, they they just range; they go all over the place. Yeah. And this this show has had such like a metamorphosis. 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 Since its inception, um. So it was written by Jerome Ragney and James Rado. Rado? Rado? I don't know. Um, but anyway, they were two. Well, Jerome was an actor in this, uh, uh, the off off Broadway community, so it was a bunch of experimental theater. He was with the La Mama Experimental Theater Troupe back in the late 60s, and he was in a play called Viet Rock. Um, it was a play with like six songs, and it was like a protest show. Um, and he was inspired. By it and like put down all these ideas. He met James Ratto on another off off Broadway uh, show called. It's called like Hang Your Head and Die or something like that. Um, but anyway, James was a musician and they like kind of collaborated and like put together the show. Um, he went to a man named Joseph Papp who had uh, a company called the New York Shakespeare uh, Festival. Um, they did Shakespeare in the Park. There's some good history on that. Look it up or something. Um, but anyway, James Papp had this idea of like um, converting an old abandoned library into a multi-theater complex, huh. um, which is now known as the Public Theater. And these guys like conglomerated and they got together and uh, they found a guy named Galt McDermott uh, who did the music, the nonsensical music that we hear. Um, and they, they put together a show and they were going to open it, uh, open the public with the show, like premiere the public and premiere the show at the same time. Right. Um, yeah, so there was a lot of, there was a lot of things happening, a lot of drama. Um, they hired a director and then they hired a choreographer, but the choreographer got like sick and so she was out for 10 days. Um, and the choreographer came back and changed everything and then the director quit. Uh, and then Claude quit, and James Ratto stepped in for Claude, and then they fired James Claude, and the guy came back, and like it went through a whole thing even before it's like first production, like very first shitty production. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that absolutely accounts for um, the like sort of sporadic nature of it. I think. I like. I've taken it to uh, likening it to the. Uh, 20 song game that I did. <laughs> yeah, that's what it feels like. It just yeah. seems like Galt went in there and was like, okay, you come up with 30 songs in an hour. Let's right. Do this. Yeah, so that's 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 what I'm talking about. So trying to write 20 songs in 12 hours, right? It, it seems like they literally, and even like from what you've told me about some of the songwriting, like the writing the lyrics and things like that, it's like they would just experience something in random throughout the day and they would like write a song about yes, it. Yes, yes, yes. Like, Donna is yeah. a um, is just a story that they heard like when they were at a cafe. They heard just this old guy talking about how he was looking for his sixteen year old virgin girlfriend that he's been missing for like twenty years or some bullshit. 
Um, and so they put it in the musical. Yeah, and this is like where I, I question like, if they were doing all of this in an effort to just like really catalog the day to day of nineteen sixty eight, sixty nine or whatever years they, you know, were adding and writing new things for. Right. Or if they were just really trying to scramble to find content to put into this. <laughs> it was Musical. probably a little of both. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because I think that was really the goal was to sort of create a musical that reflected the hippie movement back onto yeah. the audience. And because like theater is such a high art, the only people that are going to see it are, you know, like upper class people. And so that, that's like the only way that they can experience it uh, oh, without yeah, like going on the street. You know what I mean? That's true. Um, so, yeah. Okay, where does that take us up to? Oh, wait, hold on a second. Okay. Yeah, we haven't even... Where are we? It did, it almost did. Well, we were, I feel like we were just kind of talking about, like, abrasive songs. Yeah, um, I was uh, talking about the first chunk of songs, which is Donna, Hashi, Sodomy, Colored Spade, Manchester. The, the introductions, if you will. Yeah, the introductions, essentially for the male characters. Donna, you get introduced to Berger, who is the ringleader of like the whole show. He sort of guides the audience through it. Sodomy, you get introduced to Wolf. Can, can I ask with Donna, how does that play out on the stage? Uh, well, I guess I don't know. Um, I know in the script, he like strips down to a loincloth, right? And then um, in the show that we saw, he sort of was like dancing amongst the audience. Because the movie was kind of creepy, to be honest. <laughs> it did not make sense at all. Yeah. It was just an excuse uh, to have it in there. Sheila, who we have not like really been introduced to yet in the movie, and two other women, who I'm guessing are just like friends. It's her maybe. mom. It's her mom? Oh, it yes, is her mom. Yes, it's her mom you're right, you're right. and some bitch from the club. But they're riding their horses uh, through the park, mm. and these hippies just start harassing them. <laughs> They don't start harassing them. They ask them for money because they're broke. Yeah. Because they're hippies and they haven't left home and everything, right? So they ask them for money. And, sure. then and then the one guy's like, hey, I really want to ride a horse. I've never ridden a horse before. And they're like, cool. And then they went out and gave them all their money and did something nonsensical, which is what all these kids were doing back then when they left home and did some gave dumb them shit. all their money? What are you no, talking No, then about? they, remember, they took all their money into that place and got a horse. They rented a horse. They rented a horse. No, I'm talking about when they chase the women through the park, like, without the horse. Oh, like, that's just because they wouldn't give them money and they were being snobby. <laughs> yeah, then they rent the horse and then they literally start harassing them. Yeah. Because they're trying but to then, Claude out the they're like, oh, Claude, you want this girl? You take this horse and you go you do your rodeo stuff, boo-boo. You go, and he did. And he did, mm. and she didn't mm. even notice. She had a little smirk from mm, her. mm, mm. I was just I was just pleasantly surprised in watching the movie to see Beverly D'Angelo <laughs> of the vacation movies. Sorry, Miss Sheila. Mm-hmm. I was not prepared for that. So Sodomy introduces us to Woof, which yes. also comes out of order in the movie. I think that's the song where they're they're actually harassing. They're riding they're the whole side by side and he's singing Sodomy right yes. next to them. Yes. Um, yeah. and then, you know, Claude comes along and then Donna happens. It's it truly does not make sense. Mm-mm. No. That whole first, well, the whole movie, but that first part of it especially is just a whirlwind. Of yeah, it's famous. But is that, but is that a blanket statement to how nonsensical people were? 
back then, like the fr- like yeah. just the free love doing their own thing, free thought kind of movement where it just wasn't streamlined. It wasn't really making sense. I to guess them. because of the I mean, I'm just of being like song, as far as a blanket statement, like. Well, here, this is actually something we talked about, or at least I was kind of like hinting at talking with Brandon in looking at the show less of being the story that it's loosely, loosely based around. Whatever it might be. And moreover, just the, the, the backdrop. Like, it's, it's not trying to tell the specific story of right. Claude. It's just, this is just like a little piece of somebody's what's this happening world. in the 60s. Yeah. You bring up a lovely point that I want to get into. Harris sort of uh, kicked off the concept musical because it is ah. a concept. It sort of centers around the hippie movement. Right. Um, and it uses very loose ties to connect everything, but they do connect. Yes, yes. And I think they only connect because outside forces, you know, people who are not like on the primary creative team said, this needs a goddamn structure. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so there we have this plot. And so maybe it's an excuse to put a blood in there. You know what I mean? But yeah, but it's constantly changing. Um, so we're introduced to all these male characters. We get uh, Burger, Wolf, Hud, and uh, Claude, Manchester, England. Claude is from Queens, but uh, they pretend like he's not from Queens. I don't know. I don't really get the song. Um, but yeah, we're introduced to all of our male characters. And the next chunk of songs that I want to get into, we sort of are introduced to our female characters in the show. Um, we start off with Ain't Got No, and it's just uh, a song the hippies are talking about what they don't have. Uh, just a window into the culture, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And then it smashes right into I Believe in Love, which is a Sheila song. So in the show, Sheila is already a part of the tribe. Mm-hmm. She's not like some debutante from Long Island. She is, <laughs> she's, she's well integrated into the tribe. Um, yeah, and at the end of the song, she sort of leads the... We, the, say, we say Claude is part of the tribe, too, then. Oh, no, thank you. Uh, yeah, Claude is part of the tribe, too. In the movie, he like you yeah. see him as, he, like... He's, like, the focal point character in the movie. Yeah, yeah. he's a protagonist, yeah. exactly. Yeah, so we see his journey and him, like, transform. But in the show, he's a hippie. He's just... Is there any of them that are not already part of the tribe in the stage version? No. I guess the audience, if you really want to be bougie about it. God, what no. a completely different way to... Yeah. Wow. We'll, we'll get into that. Again, probably to get into the mainstream, though. Yeah. I mean, you gotta have a love Make story. Make it easy accessible. I'm just like, this was the more obsessive part for me than like the actual sh- music or the, the show itself was just like all the crazy turns and like how this whole thing came together. It's just crazy. So once this show premiered, um, it, it, it found itself with two, um, uh, two dates to the homecoming dance, if you will. There were two big producers that uh, were, were really like gunning for the show. One of them was, he was on the board at the public and he just kind of felt sad for the show and wanted to give it like a Broadway, a Broadway transfer. Um, and so he's like, hey, I'll give you guys 50K to go through the show on, in the shitty theater on Broadway. And this other guy, a senator from Illinois, came and saw Hare and said, oh shit, I think I'm gonna be a Broadway producer. And so he did that. I wanna be a producer. He fully had a Mel Brooks moment, <laughs> and threw up fifty thousand dollars. Max Bialstock. And Butler. <laughs> Actually, we're talking about the producers today. Fuck hair. 
Um, no, Michael Butler also offered fifty thousand to uh, uh, work on the show, not necessarily give it a direct transfer. Um, and the creative team decided to go with Michael Butler, and so he took the team, found a new director who also worked at the Lamama uh, Experimental Theater Troupe, so they all like know each other. They're all connected, and uh, he took this show to the Cheetah Nightclub after a little <laughs> we work, rework. Um, and Everything you've told me about Michael Butler, that's just like, yeah. It seems yeah. right. <laughs> Checks out. Uh, <laughs> uh, he, he took it to this nightclub called the Sheeta Nightclub, and it's, you know, just a, your typical lounge. It would not house a Broadway musical at all, but it did um, in this sort of interesting space. And after the musical, um, since they, they staged it on the dance floor, they just invited the audience to dance on the dance floor. And that stuck with the show. Um, and was integrated into the Broadway show, um, and it's, they they did it with the revival in two thousand nine. So that that sort of like element um, is now in every production. Wow. Um, so that was like the one good That's thing funny. that came out of it, though, because the show did not do well with the Cheetah, because it was at a nightclub. Cheetah. Cheetah. If you don't do well with the Cheetah, you're just not gonna make it. You can't make it here. You can't make it anywhere. And so after after uh, the cheetah, it went to uh, Broadway. Um, yeah. Um, also, uh, when it transferred to Broadway, the uh, actress who plays Jeannie, um, her name is Sally Eaton. Um, she. Um, this is the girl who is pregnant. Correct. Okay. In the movie, she is pregnant. Okay. Um, yeah. And. Because she's pregnant, this is this is the reason why she's pregnant. They she hasn't been pregnant in this production up until this point, up till the cheetah. Oh, so they do it okay. at the cheetah, and actually a lot of people uh, met in this show and like had children, wow. like because they met in the show. If you know who Martha Plimpton is, her mom and dad met in the show, um, and she was like born in like uh, the the tribe, like basically uh, kind of raised her, kind of helped raise her. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But anyway, Shelly Eaton got pregnant, and because she was so far along, they decided to just write Sheila as, or excuse me, Jeannie as pregnant. Um, and thank God they did, because that opened a whole new world when it got adapted to the movie, and it yeah. added a whole new storyline. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so yeah, these uh, two songs, I Believe in Air, we are introduced to Sheila and Jeannie, respectively. Um, uh, in the Broadway show, Jeannie pops up through the floor. Anytime she enters, she just pops up through the floor. Um, and then she sings this song about uh, clean air. Um, and I thought about talking about Silent Spring because that is just like a huge... It would have been, I mean, yeah, in a couple of years prior to this, so still very influencing. Which yeah. one was Silent Spring? You have to remind me. Silent Spring was like, it was a... A study that was published oh, yeah, about, about in, yeah uh, pesticides uh, and yeah. how bad they were fucking things up and how much That's like right. went into covering it up. Gosh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I forgot we talked about that in the what's going on. Yeah. Hmm. So yeah, cycling comes back on our material, yeah. Well, it just goes to show that uh, shit was going it. on for a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we don't need we don't. If you just if you need a little refresher, just look at the last episode or some shit. Um, so then it, the show just barrels on. Uh, we're introduced to all of our characters at this point, um, all except for one, I think. Um, the characters that we care about. 
and then uh, some other actors come out pretending to be adults, right? Like people just, just you know, authority figures. And we get into our next string of songs, which sort of um, basically puts the middle finger up at the authority figures. The first one is I Got Life, which is Claude's song initially. His parents are telling him to like be better. Um, and then it's Burger singing Going Down because he got expelled from high school. And then it's Wolf singing Hair because the tourist is like, why do you have such long hair? Um, yeah. Is this, would this be the segment that kind of leads up to... Okay, so first of all, in, in the stage show, is Claude still the one that is drafted and is... Like... They, they, you, you learn later on that all the boys got their draft cards. Okay. All right. So it's really hard to keep up with. It's hard. It's so yeah. Yeah. Like, listen, I have seen it, and I still don't get it. I'm still just like trying to put pieces together. That's why I ask with the. I just want to know like what the slight differences are between them, Um, because obviously they're almost like two completely different stories, but they're yeah. It sounds like they're two completely different. They're similar enough that we have the main plot points. Yeah, and basically what's happening in the show is that Claude is toying whether or not to um, be drafted, whether or not to go to Vietnam. That's the whole plot. And in the movie, he has he's got it much almost more zero doubts as at first. Oh, oh yeah, like he's it's ready weird to go. Me because honestly, the music sounds like it fits the movie plot better than it fits the musical plot. <laughs> I have so much about this. Truth to that, yeah. I have so much about this. Um, anyway, yeah. So these songs are kind of our um, um, fuck you to the authority figures. See, I think this is perhaps some of my my issues with this show. Um, and maybe just some of my grievances with the hippie culture in general. Damn hippies. Well, so here's the whole thing. You know, they're the, the free love generation, yada, yada, all that kind of stuff. This show, I felt like... Does not handle a lot of these issues very well. Like because it was being written as right. It's that's that's what I'm getting into. It's like that. It's it surprises me that it still has the amount of popularity and influence that it does because it has not aged well. Like yeah, the songs right. that are about people of color, they're not like terrible, but they make you feel a little icky. Sometimes. <laughs> well, the, the very, very, very first iteration of the of the show, all of the male characters were not likable. And it, like, yeah. there's a bunch of interviews in that book that uh, talk to the cast members. And I'm like, yeah, I would see, uh, it, it's definitely more of a problem now than it was back then. Like, yeah. HUD was abusive. Uh, Claude raped oh, somebody. Like, right. it, it's, it's so wild. And like, by the time it reached the public, they tamed it down mostly. But even still. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, yeah, it's important to keep the time frame in in mind, but it to, to me, I guess the point I'm more driving at is that We're what I'm more point. driving at is that it's more like you can still see the fact that it's still popular now, and there's still this much like ignorance basically in the show. Mm-hmm. Like they, they can't really cut anything out of it now because it's it's like a piece of, of history now. But know? maybe that's why it, it stood the test of time though, is maybe. because it is a piece of history because it's 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 kind of a look at on how people were reacting in yeah. the moment versus somebody writing about this fifteen years later. 
That's true. And I mean, overall, the positivity far outweighs the negativity. Yeah. yeah. But it, it, there's just there's just a few times in the show that I my skin crawled a little bit. Yeah, just, yeah. And like because they, they thought they were like righteous, you mm-hmm. know, at that time. There's just there's so many and and like I was saying, this is just kind of hippie culture in general. Like they thought they were very righteous people, and they were still very prejudiced. With uh, Colors Fade, um, it's the the whole song is just slurs. That's all. Yes, yeah, right. Um, and uh, you know, written by three white guys but sung by a black person. Right. And, you know, Ebony Magazine, when this show came out, was, was you know, really heralding the show because it was the only outlet for black actors that, yeah. that like, seemed honest, that was, that was outside of, like, August Wilson. Um, and, but, yeah, like, it's, the, hearing that song, is just like, ooh. Um, and, of course, that was the point, right? Of course, it was, like, you know, to, to give those words back to um, HUD and, Right, give him the power, right. the power that he deserves. Right, um, but still, it is it is jarring. Yeah, <laughs> to say very. And, and it's interesting. Okay, so I don't I don't know anything on the stage show, so I don't know how it's presented in the stage show, but how it's presented in the musical, um, I think people miss it a little bit because it's a very short segment of dialogue. Mm. But when they're talking about whose baby Jeannie's baby uh, is, yeah, yeah, and he says that if it comes out like you, it's gonna be pink and squishy. If it comes out like me, it's gonna be chocolate and da da da. And and then he goes right into that song. And yes. when I was watching it today, I don't remember it hitting me like this before, but it hit me like he was kind of just going, it, "It's gonna be like this if it's your baby, but if it's gonna be like it's gonna. This is what it's gonna have to go through if it's my child." Uh, yeah, yeah, like. That, this is the reality of what it's going to be called because it's like I heard all of those names in the first stanza of that song I have heard in my lifetime yeah. in my lifetime and I'm 31 right. <laughs> so you know it's like that's just the reality of it though it's like yeah that's a fair it, point the, and, that was, and that was where the conversation went in the movie so I don't know how it's presented in the show but how it was presented in the movie it made perfect sense where that song sat it did it's, it's, it's less smooth if I remember right because it's just like they're all just like monologues they're just talking freely it's whatever mm. um, but yeah and in the show Jeannie who's pregnant um, she says by some uh, crazy speed demon that's who the father is, but oh. so she's insinuating that somebody outside of the tribe, somebody that should just have a. So yeah, there's well, anyway. To bring this back to where we're at in the show, I feel like this is the the middle meat segment of it. The the that list of songs that you're talking about. Like yes. Hair, hair and all that. Down, yeah, um, all that. And I feel like this is really where they um, dip into the societal issues. Um, which there's still more in the later half of the show, but I feel like the later half kind of leans more into the actual story, and they just use that to kind of resolve the show. Yeah. But this middle section is definitely, not only is it where the songs really just start to go Bombers. all over the place, but like, it's it's really, you, you get the real content is in the middle part of the show. Yeah. Yeah. The, the well, why. And it's good that, that the, the song hair is in this part of the show as yeah. well. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> there was, you know, the, these people were all protesting and had all these great ideas and wanted to make the world a better place and were protesting the war and whatnot. And guess what their parents were focused on, though? Their, their haircuts. Their hair. The length of <laughs> their hair. That's what, you know, it's like yeah. they weren't hearing anything about them going out to the, anything like that. Why is your hair this long? Why do you look yeah. like that? 
go cut your hair. That's all they were hearing. It was mm -hmm. all about the hair, which is like the hyper-focused conservative America. Right. That's where they went. And I just think it's interesting that they kind of flipped this and were like, this is not what this is about at all. But... Yeah, that, <laughs> that continuous theme of lack of understanding between the youth culture and the, the older folks, the adult figures, I mean, that's like... I mean, in the 60s was where, like, pop culture really started to make the shift to focusing on teens and young people and celebrating youth. And I, this show is definitely, like, the epitome of that. And also, I think the parents, a lot of these people in that generation could not wrap their minds around the information that these kids had yeah. in their generation. I mean, like, like we talked about in the previous episode, this is the first war to be televised. Yeah. I mean, these kids yeah. were seeing everything. They weren't just blindly following the president of the United States and the United States right. government into a war they didn't believe in. And this, that was not how it was going to work. This anymore. whole decade is when, like, the whole distress for the government. Yes, really I mean, America was on began and fire. This is yeah. also this is. I mean, I know the color TV has been around for a while at this point, but like in the sixties is where it was started being affordable for everyone to have one in their home. So not only are they getting live footage of the war, they're getting it almost as realistic as it possibly mm -hmm. can be. Yeah. Um, I want to go back to the movie uh, for a second. Well, not for a second, for a long time, because I also want to talk about the next track that's um, after my conviction, which is Easy to be Harmed. Oh. Yeah. Now, this comes early on in the, the show, in the uh, off-off-Broadway production. It was later in the show, um, and it was sung by a trio, and it was sort of like a background song. But then the creators insisted that it was Sheila's song. It needed to be Sheila's song. Mm. Um, and so in I love Melissa's face in this. <laughs> I was surprised to hear this too. Yes, this is this is Sheila's song. It's yeah, Sheila's right, song. Right, yeah, it's Sheila's yeah. song. Um, in, in this point in the show, she comes back from a. She is fresh off a of protest from Washington D.C. And she comes back with a gift for Berger because they're in sort of uh, a relationship. Um, and he gives Berger, or she gives Berger a, a t-shirt and Berger accuses her of being jealous and then like rips up the shirt and then goes on a tantrum and then leaves. Um, and then easy to be hard happens. It's all right. However... The movie offers a different version of this song. Such a better version. <laughs> Such a better reason. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah. Yes. The weight. It's, that that whole scene in the movie is perfect. Perfect. It's perfect. That was the one. This song is what like kind of pulled me back into the movie, because everything between Aquarius to this, I was just like, what in the hell? <laughs> Is yeah. happening because I think after this or before this in the movie, Claude has already had his acid trip at the yeah. this oh, yeah. point. Yeah. So there's uh -huh. a lot of nonsense that happens before this song. Yeah, um, but the song happens. All right, in the film, Jimmy is pregnant, um, and they're in the park for I can't remember why. I can't remember why they're in the park, um, but they're there, and Hud is you know there also, and. Um, someone is calling uh, his name. I can't remember what his actual name is. Lafayette! Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, God. Lafayette. Um, and so uh, he turns around and sees a woman and a child. And so he goes up to her and, like, they have this, they have this confrontation, talk about, don't call me Lafayette, that's not who I am anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and she says, 
uh, this is your son, um, is that your son too, pointing at Jeannie. And uh, you sort of see Jeannie like realize like what she's into and what she's done, and like like you sort of you kind of see her feel for her a little bit. But like Lafayette and uh, this woman are fighting, um, and eventually Lafayette's just like, "Leave me alone! I don't I want to talk to you. I don't want. I don't want you wouldn't understand. You. you don't understand anything. You don't understand anything." And leaves her there. Easy to be hard happens. Yeah. Um, and it's gorgeous because it's just it her. Standing still in the frame, singing the song. However, I feel like everything that's going on underneath that song makes that scene so powerful. Elaborate. Because she's going on and on and on about, obviously, Easy to Be is talking about, um, you know, you care about all these people you don't even know and you care about social you know, issues and et cetera, but you can't even care about the people who like love you, the people closest to you, it's yeah. you know, whatever, while the people closest to him are wrangling him back yeah. to deal Together. with her and that kid. Like yeah. they were not gonna let him leave. And I just thought that scene in itself was so beautiful because it was almost showing her that like the people he chose to be with are also good people and they're yes, not going to yes, allow her to be yes. and it was I just thought I watched that because I really usually only pay attention to her because she's stunning but I was really watching that and the way they did that was just really well done because there were a lot of people leaving their families for this movement there were a lot yeah. of people just up and peace I mean you know and going across the country and you can't get a hold of people like you can get a hold of people now mm -hmm. you can't call them up on the phone you don't know where they no, live they you don't know anything about disappear. them yeah so. And she was from, like, New Jersey, so she Ooh. didn't even have to go that far, but still her, lost time. Her hair was still pressed. She was <laughs> not here for the movement. <laughs> okay, there was some relaxer up in there. Uh, yeah, eventually, you know, they, they, the tribe succeeds, and Hud comes back, mm -hmm. and she, she and the kid join the tribe, essentially. Mm -hmm. And uh, her and Jeannie have this sort of conversation, and uh, she asks Jeannie, like, don't you, don't you have a problem with not knowing who the kid is? And she's like, no, uh, because it doesn't matter. Everyone's really happy about it. Um, and no matter what, everybody's going to take care of the, the kid. So why should yeah. I be worried about it? I did really like that scene in the movie. Yeah, and it sort of insinuated that like they would take care of her and her kid, too. Like, they, like right. she's... Well, and it was, it, it's also a very interesting like uh, meeting of traditional family values versus yes. non-traditional values. Like, right See, there. That's, that's where I really gripped into it, because I feel like the the modern family values thing has continued to shift since this time like we're still identifying like what it is a family quote unquote right. in America and like it was just really cool to see that done so well in the movie um, and it not be a huge confrontation and it not be a big jealousy right. thing and, it was and the just... whole that's the whole thing like I some people when they stereotype hippies they just make them seem like these completely disconnected stoners that like, you know, and I mean, there is truth to that, but like, there is ideals in there. There was the thought of like, you know, people should be loved for who they are mm -hmm. and like, they shouldn't have to be afraid of the world that they live in. Like they really were striving for that utopian ideal. And although they never reached it and it became kind of, you know, a joke in the, the years later, um, this was just very real. It was a very real scene. And, and so it was easy to be hard. But, like, 
that's like I said, like easy to be hard really like pulled me back into it because it took us back down into like what this is actually about. Yes. Um, it's interesting in the show when easy to be hard comes up, it sort of shows the audience the first time, um, um, that the tribe isn't all that stable, that the tribe doesn't yeah. really know what they're doing, that the, there's actually some problems going on here. In the movie, it sort of highlights how uh, loving they are and how uh, much stronger they are together. And how they yeah. really are about family, about right. like they're not yeah, just, yeah, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. And I, I especially love, I don't remember if it's before, no, it's after this, I think, the scene in the movie when, um, when he, Burr goes home. To see his parents. Oh yeah, when he asks them for. I love that scene. I just do. <laughs> the mom. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like he's out here acting so big and bad, and I can do anything, and I can go anywhere, and it's wonderful. And the second he needs help, here comes well, his mom. And what I love too, like even the dad was really not that much of an asshole. No. Like they were actually like really loving parents. <laughs> really? <laughs> it's kind of funny. Just get a job. Just get a job. I'll give you all the money you want if you get a haircut. <laughs> give me your pants. <laughs> They're not dirty, Ma. Love it. Such a good scene. It, and, and okay, so this movie was directed by Milos Foreman. I hope I said that right. I hope that's correct. Um, I, anyway, at any rate, it's the same director who directed the film One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Oh, that's right. Yeah, and this is the only adaptation that uh, uh, Jerome and James did not have anything to do with. Milos insisted that they not write. They like came to him with like a movie uh, adaptation, and he said, "I absolutely do not want that." Goodbye. (laughs) Um, And hired another screenwriter to write this movie. Um, so it's the only one that they have not, the only adaptation they have not touched. Any, like, regional production, they're there. Any, like, touring production, they're there. The revival, they were there. Well, um, um, James was there. Um, uh, Jerome Ragney died in the 1990s. Um, at any rate, this is the only adaptation they didn't touch. And I think it's interesting because it's solidified in story, right? It's stronger because it has a story. Um, in some ways, I feel like that sort of separates the song and the story because of it. You know what I mean? I would venture to say that the hair movie is probably going to be the one that stands the test of time longer mm-hmm. than the play because, I mean, three out of four of us have never seen the play. Yeah. And the movie is, you know, it may not be exactly the same thing, but it does the job that it's set out to do. And I think I told you this the other day. Um, I, I feel like hair should stop being adapted for the stage uh, because anything else is just going to be a pale imitation like just yeah. uh, just a um, yeah and even when it opened it was kind of a pale imitation there were people yeah. who were like involved in the heavy movement they were like what the fuck is this um, the, John Lennon absolutely hated it he did <laughs> not like it um, and well, the theater community really really them too. This is what the, so I was just saying this before we started recording. The music is so far behind the times. Like for being written in 1968, Sgt. Pepper has been out for a year at this point. Yeah. And not only is that like the, everyone else who's writing music is also like pushing the boundaries of what's happening at this time, and all of the songs in this musical are just very 
what you would have heard like it just, on pop it's radio. It's very dated. Like it very, yes. it, it's very. It sounds a lot like we were talking about this earlier. It sounds a lot like music that would be written for like Leslie Gore or uh, Dusty Springfield. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. like you know, early sixties, late fifties, sort yeah. of rock pop. Ten years too late. Yes. Yeah, you don't have any like. But it also speaks to the fact that it was it was right it was in the moment like there yeah. wasn't really you know people coming out with things at that time that were so progressive that, that you know everyone was behind them yeah, yeah that's true <laughs> yeah everything was behind them at that point yeah Michelle moves right along we get over Sheila um, <laughs> bye Sheila <laughs> um, and then we get into don't put it down which is. Uh, about the American flag and the tribe is like this weird, um, they fold the flag as if, you know, um, funeral. they would at a funeral, but they sort of like, they do, they don't desecrate it, but they do something, you know, to make it whatever. Um, and that was cause enough for protests when it went out of town. Um, yeah. A few theater companies, a few of the hair companies that were like um, residents in these cities had to be like ushered out of town. Um, a few cases went to court. Two went to the Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court, um, so they could put on a show. And it was all to do with the nude scene, which comes up uh, after Frank Mills. It's called Be In. Um, and that we see, like, we see the tribe kind of do a protest with the audience, sort of a mock protest. And Claude steps forward and sings Where Do I Go after tossing his draft card in the fire and then reaching and grabbing it. Which does not. Does not happen in the movie. In the movie. No, 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 no. In the show, he but tosses in a draft card and then he rips it back out. Yeah, in the movie, he has maybe a slight falter in his desire to go. But, but that's he... only because of Sheila. Right, that's yeah. It. It, yeah. It, the entire time, he is very set on going to <laughs> going to war because he feels like he has to. Mm-hmm. to it's know, his duty. It's his duty. He's, he's called up. His duty. By Uncle Sam. Another song I want to talk about in this sort of chunk um, is a song called Frank Mills. We're introduced to our final character with a name. Her name is Chrissy. Um, and she sings this weird sort of folksy song about this guy that her and her friend met. Um, but she can't get in contact with him because she forgot his address. Um, and he borrowed two cents, but he doesn't... They don't want the... Uh, two dollars, but they don't want the two dollars back. They just want to talk. Um, and he um, is a hell's angel. Um and I thought this was interesting because this this song seemed sort of haphazardly put in there. It was going to get cut, but then they fought for it really hard. Uh, the lyrics come from a magazine. It was a letter that they found out was like put together in pieces, so it was like different letters compiled together to make one letter. Um, yeah, and I just think it's really interesting because uh, they make just a slight reference to Hell, the, the Hell's Angels, and they have, like, a, a big connection to yeah. uh, the, the, the counterculture movement. So the connection is not a positive one. <laughs> it's not good. Um, so there was um, a music festival that happened in California about a little less than four months after the Woodstock, the original Woodstock that happened in New York. Um, it's the, the Altamont... F- Altamont uh, Freeway Music Festival or something along those lines. Sure. Uh, but the organizers of the festival hired, of all people, the motorcycle gang Hells Angels. <laughs> a security. A security 
for the show. Um, and I looked up some of the, the reasons as to how that's the whole thing came about. And it, it's wild. Um, so apparently the Hells Angels had actually done security for different people around the area, right? Mm. And they actually had not really had any negative responses in doing this. Um, so, uh, there's some like different variations of the story, different versions of how people tell it. Um, but at this, this thing, which is also known as Woodstock West, right? Yes. Um, which was not the actual name, but it's kind of what it was being Woodstock built up as the West Coast. Yes. It was, that's what it was being built up as, but it was supposed to be the huge lineups, the Grateful Dead, which they were like very young at this, this age. Like they were a hot ticket. Wow. Um, the Rolling Stones were supposed to close it out. Wow. The Jefferson Airplane was there. Um, and for the life of me, there was a fourth band, but I can't remember it off the top of my head right now. But Jurassic was amazing. Uh, yeah, just like heavy hitters of the uh, late 60s, right? So they're putting this festival together, and um, someone approaches the people, the organizers, and says, like, the Hells Angels will do security. Uh, and you just have to pay them in beer. So the story is that they paid the Hells Angels in $500 worth of beer. And all they had to do, at least what, what varying stories, what they say of that they were told they had to do was just sit on the stage and make sure nobody got up on the stage. They weren't told to police anything. They were literally just supposed to keep people off the stage. That's all. What it turned into was a series of brutal beatdowns, uh, People got stabbed. People got stabbed. I think three people died. Um, a bunch of people were injured. It was just, it was bloody. It was really bad. Um, and again, like nobody really knows the reasoning behind anything because it was just chaos. It was just chaotic. Um, but yeah, not a positive relation between Hells Angels and uh, the hippies. <laughs> Legend has it that um, uh, Allen Ginsberg and Kim Kessie, author of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, were like key figures in diffusing, um, at least in the San Francisco area, question mark maybe, um, diffusing this uh, like tension between the Hells Angel Angels and the counterculture movement. Well, huh. I mean, I think it helps when you're handing out LSD. Yeah. And the volume that they were. Good old can. Yeah. Because I do think, you. well, I think also, I think that specifically, like, one of his distributors, I remember reading, was an ex, like, Hell's Angel. Ah. Okay. I would okay. have to double check my source on that, but I feel like I remember reading that, that when I went down that little rabbit hole. I was like, yeah. wow. Yeah. That's, that's the whole thing about all of this Hell's Angel it Helps stuff. a lot, it's, it's all you know. Hearsay. Like, there's no real solid evidence. <laughs> Because I don't think anybody really wants to, like, say the real no, story. Not, yeah, I'm not going to press anybody for it either. No. But, yeah, so that's... Everything that we know is, like, accounts from the bands. And, actually, the Grateful Dead ended up not playing at this festival, which was a really big problem. Wow. Um, but that's part of... They heard how violent it was getting, and... They, they, do, they pulled out, yeah. yeah. Well, because it was almost embarrassing. It's almost embarrassing for the other, like, ones that did yeah. play. They were like, we did play at that Altamont Festival, this and it was... was uh, this is often cited as up. one of the worst uh, events in the, the counterculture movement. Like, mm -hmm. one of the ones that really, like, slowed it down. Wow. So, 
Woodstock West wasn't supposed to happen. <laughs> it got smoked down. <laughs> Smoke, smite, smited, smite. Smoke. Smoke. Smoke just sounds good. <laughs> so if you see Frank Mills, tell him Chrissy's um, looking for him. Um, <laughs> all right, so we reached the end of Act One with the nude scene and uh, talking about where do I go? Well, yeah. Um, in the Broadway production, uh, the nude scene happens, right? Um, and the nude scene came about because the two boys that were that wrote the show were sort of protesting. They saw it at a protest. This was not written in the show. Opening night, the two of them decided to take off their clothes during the scene, <laughs> so they to just stand there. Um, they know it's illegal to be naked, but they found a loophole. If it's in a tableau, it's legal. So the lights went up, and they had their clothes off. They stood very still. The lights went down. They scurried, like scurried off stage. And then uh, uh, it just grew. Like, as the show continued, like, more and more actors participated in it and suddenly just became, like, a part of the show. Like, now it's in the script that the, the actors get naked at this point in the show. And at intermission, the police, like, come in and they're like, you guys are watching this profanity. Um, and they're like, JK, it's intermission. Intermission happens. In the movie, is this where they go skinny dipping in the park? Or is this just, like, not in the movie uh, in any way? Um... I know BN is in the movie, um, and he Claude sings "Where Do I Go," and those right. are sort of like meshed together in the show. Um, huh. I don't remember. My brain is so scattered at this point. I don't remember what the movie looks like. The movie they um, Claude is coming down from his trip, and they go uh, start skinny dipping. That's oh, that's she, right. Yeah. So Sheila just like shows up so at that moment. So that's prior to where do I go? Because where do I go is when he's he's taking himself to the recruiter's office. Yeah, right. I was just trying to see if there was a, a yeah. lineup point between the movie and the, yeah. I, I, I think, think you're right. Timeline. Yeah. Okay. Be in is the, the the track be in in okay. the show is his acid trip in the movie. Um, okay. Yes. Um, so yeah, we go into Act Two. And it starts out with... Oh, so that's the festival where he has the acid trip? That's Yes. Yeah, got yeah, it. Yeah. Got it. And we hear this crazy song, Electric Blues, um, at, in that scene as yeah. well. Um, but Electric Blues opens up Act 2. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Um, they, they tell the audience that Claude has been missing for a few days. They don't know where he is. Um, and so they, like, conjure him up. And then Manchester, England reprises. And he talks about his time at the... Uh, uh, recruiting office uh. and then it goes um, and he's sort of like still like sold about going to Vietnam like he's, he's like ready to do it um, and then it goes into uh, because he's in his uniform they like uh, oh no he's not in uniform yet they're giving him gifts they're giving each other gifts or uh, something at this point and Wolf who's been you know dormant this entire show um is given a poster of Mick Jagger. Um, oh, and he, yeah. like, expresses his love of Mick Jagger. Um, and they only hint at it in the movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they, they briefly well, touch on it. I want to kick Mick Jagger out of my bed. Exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. And this conversation sort of leads, in, leads into, like, the objectification of men, and um, then we get into black boys, white boys. Mm. My favorite numbers. <laughs> um, Same... In the show, three white women come out and they sing uh, a song about black boys, led by the one and only in the original Broadway cast, one Miss Diane Keaton. So she leads that trio. 
Excuse me. Diane Keaton. <laughs> I do too. No, I, tell me, tell, tell me something real fast. You can cut this out. Does kind of, Diane Keaton remind you of my mom a little bit? Abs and pecs, absolutely. Great. Why? She Especially hates Diane Keaton. <laughs> <laughs> and I know that that's why. Oh. Because the, the, the level of hysterics oh. they both can get to. Personally, I don't think we can cut this out. <laughs> this is seminal to the episode. Sorry, Mom. Sorry, Patricia. You're I Diane know you Keaton. hate Diane Keaton. We've talked about this, though. She Listen, knows that I think... Nothing against Diane Keaton, but you're fabulous, Patsy. Yeah, yeah, Mom, you're better than Diane Keaton. You really are. And much more logical. It's just the screaming. It's the screaming that is identical. <laughs> oh, can we take it to First Wife's Club for a minute? Oh, oh! I'm Diane Keaton First Wife's Club is my Yeah. <laughs> my God. Look when she first. <laughs> oh my God. That is correct. Yes. That is correct. It really is. And when she's standing outside the hotel room, just yelling, "I'm sorry." That is my mother. That's the best. That is my mother. Oh, best. Oh, where's Diane? Her mom is What? Woo. Drudging up memories of that. Holy! I love that movie. Oh, so good. I'm gonna really watch do. it. <laughs> you Diane Keaton led that trio too. Oh, exactly, exactly. She did lead that trio. She led that trio, so she's leading the trio here too in Black Boys. But uh, that movie and Oliver and Company started my Bette Midler love fest. Oh, that's for another episode. <laughs> Sorry, you all. are right. Um, <laughs> we we oh. have to do a Bette Midler. <laughs> Bette Midler yes. podcast. Yes, right. yes. Okay, okay. Bring okay. it back. Bring uh, okay, 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 okay. <laughs> so, white, white boys is happening. The time flies when you're on Prozac. And then it goes into... <laughs> no. Black boys is happening. And then it goes into uh, white boys sung by... So it flips in the musical. Because it's, it's the opposite in the movie. It's no, white no, boys it's, and then black boys in the movie. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. I, I, I just watched it today. Uh, white boys, then black boys in the movie. Really? Yes. White boys first because I thought this song sounds like heaven must be missing oh, no, an angel you, you're and then right. it goes straight you're into right. black boys because the the military it's recruiting the, board the, recruiting the white men sing about black boys first white guys first because um, they oh, have right. a skinny white guy who comes in first right, right and, and they lift him up yes. and take his socks off yes. the second guy who walks in is a gorgeous black, black man, man. Yes. Yes. It's, yes. it's black boys yeah black I mean, boys sorry, first I'm sorry no it's it's white yeah it's black boys and the white boys. I'm sorry, I'm flipping that in my brain. <laughs> the white women are singing the first, white and the white first. in the movie they they, they couple this black women second. They couple this this scene with a, a scene at the recruitment yes. office, yes. and there's a table yes. of white like generals and officers or whatever, and a, a table of black generals and officers. And black boys happens. You see the the women singing sort of outside in the park of just ogling boys as they go by. And in uh, the recruitment office, you uh, are watching these boys being stripped down and being like, you know, there's a there's a full physical examination going on. Which hints at homosexuality in the military. Yeah. Yes. Maybe. And the, the white officers are singing how much they love black boys and mm. how gorgeous they are. Um, yeah. Yeah, the whole scene with the guy, uh, the white boy at first, who has his socks on and refuses to take them off because his toenails are painted. His toenails are painted. I, I did giggle at that scene. <laughs> Somebody correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that actor is the clown and uh, Air Bud. Anyway. Um, Air Bud. No, we're talking about acting royalty. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it finally goes into White Boys, right? Um, and it's uh, led by uh, three black women. Um, and 
this number is just so much better than the one before. It is so much better. <laughs> like, I, white boys don't need all that tribute, but goddamn, this song is great. Ooh. Um, I love the uh, the black officers like doing a little like choreography. Yes, 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 yes. yes. <laughs> Under yes. the desk. Um, and in the in the movie, they uh, they exist as separate songs. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it's black uh-huh. boys and white boys. They're separate songs. In Although the show, they do run like they go right into each other. Yeah, right. they're, they're they're coupled together. Yeah. But like in the show, they 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 end together. Like uh-huh. there's this rousing number no where short pause between them, like in the movie. Well, they, they they're singing white boys, white boys, and then the white girls come in singing black boys, uh-huh. and then sing white boys. And I can't remember the last lyric, but I think it's mixed medium. That's what they that's what they're like singing. And then that's the end of the song. <laughs> what? This fucking show. I Bonkers. Can't, I can't. Do it, it is absolutely <laughs> I nuts. Can't do it. Um, and the costume designer, I really want to shout out here because she was, uh, her name was Theone Aldridge. Um, she designed the dress for the black girls singing about the white boys. Um, and it looked, they looked like they were just wearing three separate dresses, but then they stood apart and it was one big dress that was like sewn together. So they were like one entity. <laughs> anyway. Um, Man, the show is wild. <laughs> now comes the acid trip, speaking of wild. Um, and I just want to just barrel right through it. So um, it starts off with Walking in Space, which is actually a lovely song, um, I think, in my opinion. Uh, kind of trippy, but great. After that, we see some monks. Um, four. One of them douses himself in gasoline, sets himself on fire, uh-huh. and then the other three are protesting. Some Catholic nuns come in and kill the three. Okay? And then some astronauts come in and kill the nuns. And then some Chinese people come in and kill the astronauts. And then some Native Americans come in and kill the Chinese people. And then some Green Berets come in and kill the Native Americans. Wow. So that's happening. And then we go into AB Baby. And I'm not sure where this transition happens, but it happens. Um, and uh, the uh, black actors come out and they sing, uh, yes, I'm finished on y'all's farmland. And then they say, I'm finished because uh, the Amancer motherfucking pater of the slaves <laughs> set us free. <laughs> the lyric. Um, a woman comes out, an actor, a black actress comes out dressed as Abraham Lincoln, and she does, uh, um, you know, like a like a um, uh, bastardized version of the Gettysburg Address, mm. um, and it ends with this song. And John Wilkes Booth, an actor dressed up as John Wil- Wilkes Booth, shoots Abraham Lincoln, and the actress playing Abraham Lincoln says, "I ain't dying for no white man," and she takes off the costume. Um, and then it goes into 3500, which is this crazy number that's taken from an Allen Ginsberg poem, Wichita Vortex Saturn. No, Sutra, sorry. Wichita Vortex Sutra. Um, the opening line is taken from the line, flesh soft as a Kansas girl's ripped open by metal explosion. Um, and the title comes from, uh... U.S. General Maxwell Taylor, um, he was talking about like the progress of what was happening. Uh, Viet Cong losses leveling up 3500 per month. Um, and actually, the number is 38,000, not 35,000, but um, for the sake of the musical, that's what it is, apparently. Um, yeah, and then it goes uh, into, the, they like fake a war, everybody dies, and then two people sing uh, What a Piece of Work is a Man, which is... Uh, a soliloquy from Hamlet, 
that happens, and then uh, that's the end of the trip. That's that's the trip, and then now, we're all we're all sober. Before now. we get too much further, I don't want to sidetrack it too much, but do we do we know what the Wichita vortex is? No, I don't know what he's referring. I did not look up his poem. <laughs> I love it's, this because I only learned about this about a year or two ago. So for a while, Allen Ginsberg uh, was taking residency in Lawrence, like Lawrence, Kansas, uh-huh. um, and he made some really great friends. Uh, between Lawrence and Wichita. He also was in Wichita for a little while. There's this idea that um, artists at the time were leaving Wichita and they would all die. They would be they would f- be like at a peak in their career and they would decide to leave Wichita and then they would get in car crashes or hang themselves or... Dang, you took a risk moving out here. <laughs> no, I... I, I <laughs> I oh genuinely, I genuinely. And the pandemic happened. Colton, Holy fuck! Yeah. I know. That's what I'm saying. Oh, I'm like, so glad you're still here. <laughs> Jesus Christ! No, so like, yeah, I only heard this concept. A friend of mine is an author in Wichita, and he spoke at this thing uh, that was like a beatnik um, uh. writers type thing because he's loosely tied to his name's Troy James Weaver, just to loosely promote him. But there you go, Troy. He. Um, he spoke at this thing and they talked about Allen Ginsberg and the beatnik writers and uh, they talked about the Wichita Vortex and I just, I'd never heard the term before and I was like, well, this is terrifying. <laughs> Boy, anyway, mercy. I didn't want to sidetrack it too much. I just, I... That's fantastic. Yeah, very few people know what that term actually is refre- re- referencing, so... Interesting. You proved it wrong. <laughs> Don't speak too soon. True. Um, the pandemic is not over yet. Yeah. On the on the moving way, right. like is it before six months we all died, or like is it a year? Well, like I moved, and then three months later, the coronavirus. Oh my so, god! Somebody was out to get you. I don't know about. It, it's not my fault. So we sober up. Claude sobers up, um, and. Uh, Berger talks about wanting to be invisible. There's um, a line in one of the songs that Claude sings, singing, I'm invisible. Um, so there's all this, all this illusion, illusion, uh, whatever, to invisible. Um, what is this? Oh, in the original production, um, well, Sheila sings Good Morning Starshine just to l- lighten the mood, right? And she's noticed that everybody's depressed and she's like, good morning, Starshine. Let's all just like love again or whatever. So it be bullshit. But then um, in-, in the movie, it serves as like just uh, like uh, us getting across the country to uh, Claude, who is now enlisted in the army as an It also base. serves as the first time Lafayette's little wifey girlfriend thing. Uh, she's there. She's with the drama. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. In the original Broadway show, uh, next came The Bed, which only existed in the Broadway show. And what happened was Berger offered Sheila to Claude as his like going away gift. Like, Sick. Thunk. Yeah. Um, and so <laughs> Chrissy brings out a bed and they sing this insane song called The Bed. Listing all the many things you can do in bed, but you could never sin in bed. Um, so that happens. Um, then it just 
kind of goes to the end. Like, you see kind of Claude go off, and then he comes back, and he's in his uniform, finally, and he's got his hair cut off, and he's trying to talk to the tribe, and the tribe cannot see or hear him. He has become invisible to the tribe. Wow. Um, and so, Flesh Failure starts, and he sings, uh, We starve, look at one another short of breath, um, and starts the song. Um, and eventually, within the song, he gets killed, going to Vietnam, you know, he gets killed, and Berger does a dance, like, over him, um, and holds up, like, drumsticks and, a, like, a cross above him, um, and th then the cast comes out and sings Let the Sun Shine In, um, and then the audience dances with the cast, and that's, like, <clears throat> the movie yes. has a cruel twist of fate, which, Way again, better ending. Yes. <laughs> truly, yeah, I think it amplifies is. that song like, even wow. more, like, it's in Easy to Be Hard. Um, yeah, yeah, so, um, Claude is, uh, on base, I'm just jumping in to help you out. Please. <laughs> so Claude is on base, and the tribe has come to visit him at the military base, and the military, uh, the, the, the guard at the gate will not allow them into the base, um, and so they leave, and, uh, because in the movie, 3500 is used as a distraction on the base. And yes. Correct. Yes. Somebody, yes. Zero zero somebody play, during their little graduation day thing, right. <laughs> somebody plays it over the thing That's and puts the whole base on lockdown. And then yeah. uh, Sheila um, woo seduces a... And I'm sorry, again, a brilliant use of just like a weirdo song. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, good, good work. Yeah, maybe not having the two... Originators involved. Maybe there was something to it. Yeah, maybe they just couldn't think of a goddamn plot. <laughs> but anyway, so <laughs> she should she seduces a an officer from the base, and they steal his car and his clothes, and basically they they use they pretend to be him. So Berger dresses up as this officer and goes on base and gets get, his hair cut. I might add, yeah, cuts his hair cuts off his hair. to make it. Gets on base to get Claude off base to come have a picnic with them. We didn't know the base is on lockdown like that, so Claude couldn't leave because they were going to do all these checks or whatever, mm -hmm. like uh, attendance checks. And so he has a brilliant idea to send Claude off base in the officer's uniform by himself and, the cruel and stay in the private uniform so that he could do the attendance while he was gone. The so cruel Berger twist. is pretending to be Claude. So Berger's yes. now on base as Bukowski. And Claude is dressed as an officer visiting the tribe right. off, off of base. Right, some nookie. The cruel twist that happens is while Berger is pretending to be Claude... They get emergency orders to yeah. go to Vietnam. So um, while, they're, while Claude is off base, Berger, uh, as Claude is racing back to the base... Um, Burger gets put onto a plane to Vietnam, and then he is the one that dies mm -hmm. in the movie. Yes, and uh, it just it gives me goose pimples thinking about it. Actually, Which, yeah. and, and even more goose pimples too because the movie opens with Claude burning his draft card. Yeah, I mean with yes. Burger burning his draft card. Yeah, Burger, burning yeah, his Burger draft burns card. his draft card, and then he ends up going. Yeah, yeah. yeah and then yeah. on top of that, so we talked yeah. about how Let the Sunshine In is has become like this, you know, happy-go-lucky song about, you know, you know, let the sunshine in. Thank and you for the mention. Right. And it's so much more of like a somber, like, eulogy mm -hmm. in in the movie. And I'm sure in the, yeah, a plea, you know, like, begging you to let the sunshine in. Like, see, like, let's move forward. 
and there's so much more desperation in the song in that way. And it, yeah, yeah. Seeing it in that context, because I have heard that song before, as many people have, but seeing it in context is so much more powerful. Than... You know, you know what's interesting about this movie is that it, it kind of feels like you know we were talking about uh, Black Parade last time and talking about putting it into a musical and like kind of fitting those songs into a storyline. That's what it feels like the movie makers did with this musical. Yeah, they like took like a musical took and up. said, where does this actually go? <laughs> and then reworked it and put it where it actually made sense. Yeah. Well, and it's for a story for more people to get. It really doesn't make all that much sense, but it makes more sense than I'm sure the stage version does. Yeah. And I mean, like the stage version, of course, is all experimental theater. The, the setting is the here and now. And, um, yeah, it's very immersive, whatever. But, um, <laughs> Yeah, the movie is very solidified and accessible. And I think it was made at a time, like, there wouldn't be a production company doing an experimental musical theater thing turning it into a film. Like, it's it also worth, at just the right time or a, a bunch of experimental stuff was happening. It's worth noting that the movie came out, like, 10 years after, it was 1978, right? Uh, 79. 79. Yeah. So, uh, this is, like, past the hippie time frame by quite yeah. a bit. So you've also got that perspective as well versus the people who are writing it in the middle of it. You've got the looking back and the, right. the I don't know, ed education, wiseness, wiseness, that's not a word. Wisdom. 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 <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's, um, you know, like I, I won't lie, it was not my favorite thing that I've seen. Um, I think maybe just because I have seen this a similar story done in a lot of different ways um i, I mentioned across the universe at, earlier yeah and that movie while it is completely different you can definitely see a lot of parallels in how they handled the story i mean there's even the whole trip sequence in across the universe i think that they're very similar actually they yeah, really they're are ridiculous they're really similar even in the storyline i think that they similar. they managed to make the characters because max is you know kind of burger but but Jude is like his own character, really. I he, I don't think I would say Jude is Claude. I felt like they, they the only thing that across the universe didn't do was send him to war. Like they just flipped it for Burger. Yeah, that's I mean it's just I don't know it's it's almost an identical storyline honestly. Yeah, I, so I at the very least you can say across the universe is inspired by Hair for sure. Yeah, um, as far as uh, musical theater is concerned, Hair. Uh, kicked off a fucking lot like yeah. as far as if, if if hair didn't happen we wouldn't have um we, rent would not have happened spring awakening would not right. have happened all these uh, hamilton would not have happened these confrontational like unconventional yes ways. yeah yeah that, yeah that are like taking something that's very difficult to talk about and just like bulldozing right into it um, if one would look into their musical theater history uh, book, they would see that in the early aughts, musical theater was sort of infor informing pop culture. Like, it was, uh, uh, you hear all the old standards, like, they're all from some sort of musical. Right. Um, uh, the Gershwins have, like, 17 musicals because their music has been just repurposed to put in other right. musicals. Like, anyway, um, when, you know, when movies came about, that sort of was not happening anymore. And Hair was kind of the first musical to um, be in pop culture again because Aquarius and Let the Sunshine In, uh, The Fifth Dimension did a, a like a single, a mashup single of it like the next year and won a Grammy for it. Um, and the 
the Tony committee like, would not allow hair to, the, like, they kept moving dates around so that they would not be qualified for the Tony Awards. Um, that year, the, the musical who won the Tony um, closed two months later, and hair kept going after it four years later. Um, the musical that won against hair was 1776. Oh my god. And that's that just goes to show like what what that shows the times though. Shows that the time, shows what we were paying the yeah. split of the generations for right. sure. Right. Exactly. Yes, yes. And and hair was like the young people talking to the old people. It's exactly what it was. Well I, I liked part of my reason for like mentioning that we could do this album was that this is like really the only musical that I that's not like you know a uh, Oscar Hammerstein that kind of stuff you know like really classic ones that right. has like become famous outside of being a musical like Let the Sunshine In is just a song that people know yeah like, and that's very rare for music theater to have a song that can exist outside of the show itself and be as huge as that song is like that's the one i know most people know i know some people who know aquarius but like let the sunshine in like so many people know that song you know and it's interesting i had a friend try and tell me that aquarius um is not from hair it's actually a donna summer song and i'm like have a wet <laughs> um yeah it's just amazing to see its influence on uh pop culture and right. when it went international um the Yugoslavia production at the time uh, was the most successful production, and it was the first production directed by a woman. So there you go. Wow. Um, Yugoslavia loved hair. <laughs> Alabama didn't. Wow. Neither, neither did Boston. They took it to court. Boston is racist as hell. Boston didn't want. They didn't want to they see are your pain. They are racist as hell. Listen, listen, we don't need to go accusing U.S. cities of being racist. Boston. That is not a. That is me. not a thing that our podcast needs to be associated with. But you heard us. Boston. You know, loose implications. <laughs> you heard us. Um. So fucking yeah, that's hair. I sort of barreled through all thirty-two tracks, but. Some of these, these tracks are like 15 seconds long. They don't they don't need a lot of no. No, there are a lot of songs they couldn't could have left out. Listening to the songs like musicals will not only reprise things but use themes like musical themes that run throughout. And while there are reprises in this musical, uh, there it's it's different. Like the songs exist individually. Like, if you didn't know it was a show, you would think this is just a rock album, you know? Um, they're a concept album. Yeah, and a, a weird one. Like, I'm glad there is a show because I think without it, like, you would have just kind of a very, like, humdrum, scattershot of a rock and roll record. But, like, it can't exist without having the show behind it because it really... Or at least the songs themselves can. Right, yeah. like, it, it's because I think... Unlike most musicals, these songs don't really push the story forward all that much. No. They're they're just songs. Maybe one of the writers like secretly wanted to be like a like a like a composer, like an actual, you know. Like, like a like he wanted to write his own like rock album or whatever. Yeah, and he yeah. said, mm -hmm. I only sang songs. 
he and his girlfriend broke up. Yeah. <laughs> and he had to write a, a mental breakdown. And they were like, man, I'm broke. I need to write a musical. <laughs> I mean, I got all these songs. You just want to see if we can throw them in oh, something? No. Oh, and no. And that's probably what happened. Oh, no. Yeah, that is probably what happened. That's, that, that's what happened with Donna, at least. No, I can confirm. <laughs> Jerome and James, they were fucking. You said it was unconfirmed. <laughs> But very. It was in the book. (laughs) Okay, well. It was in the book. I'm not arguing with you. I'm just. Well, then maybe they were too distracted to think of the plot. Uh, Do you think? (laughs) Um, yeah. Um, that's 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 it. Does anybody have anything to say? Does anybody have a, a favorite song? Does anybody have opinions? I have a lot of opinions, but <laughs> I don't know. I this was one so so far out of what we've done um, for the listeners because everyone else knows this already. This is the only one I haven't listened to. Um, I've never heard hair before. We did this, and while I am very certain that I need to listen to it again and watch it again, um, it was just very humdrum for me. Like the songs are just boring like except for the handful like Aquarius and easy to be hard and let the sunshine in the pillars that hold the whole thing up yeah like man it's just so all over the place and like the story is treated like a throwaway you know because it is it was an afterthought right yeah so like I don't know it's not it wasn't that I didn't enjoy any of it it just was very like I've seen it done better since then you know like there are imitators that have developed their own version of it that I think that it's just a little more refined I suppose yes 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 so that's that Um, we went through our fourth album Um, so next time we're uh, for our fifth album we are listening to David Bowie's last album correct yeah last one Black Star. I'm so excited. I am very excited because uh, I've only heard a few tunes from this. Oh. Um, I've heard none of it, so I'm. Oh. I'm excited this. for you. It's there's such a. It'll good, be a trip. Well, I say a good story. There's such a story behind this. Oh man, David Bowie. I'm ready. I am so. I mean, I love David Bowie, so I'm looking forward. To oh it. no, it's fantastic. Okay. It really is. We're gonna get a little spooky. Oh, yeah, we'll do like candles. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> Set the mood, y'all. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll bring my things. things. I'll bring my skulls and shit. Good. Yes. <laughs> yes. Bring the gold skull. All right. Bring okay. us on home. Bring, bring us home. Okay. But this is it. All right. We've been we've been yammering on. Um, thank you all for joining us. If you haven't listened to hair, listen to the highlights. You know. <laughs> It's only an hour long, the the album, but like you don't need to waste all that time. Watch the movie. Watch the movie. The movie is it's worth solid. the watch. It's solid. I didn't watch the movie. I think I'm gonna check it out. <laughs> it's all right. It's pretty good. And uh, Beverly D'Angelo. Beverly. Beverly D'Angelo uh, from the uh, Chevy Chase Vacation series. <laughs> Babe. I mean, Babe. goes without saying. <laughs> and and for those of you who need more motivation, there are boobs. Ha <laughs>
Yeah, there's some nudity. I mean, just Listen, to help y'all out. Those like, boobs are also in vacation. You white males who might be thinking, I Listen. don't want to watch this movie. There's titties. There's some yeah. titties. You see them in vacation. And they it's are the younger version. Oh, my God. We gotta go. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. Join us next time. I love you. Bye. Started recording us again. Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. All right, all right. Um, is Jeannie good? Yes. Yeah. All right, so. Rocking and rolling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.